Nope, not that. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty, and we are going to get our liberty back. The power of one leads to the power of many. God bless you, God bless the state of Michigan, and God bless the United States. Good afternoon, my fellow Michiganders. Good afternoon, my fellow Americans. Again, just like the past couple of weeks, um, we're allowing people for their stories to be told because a lot of the things that we're discussing on this platform, it's not discussed on corporate media. And I really, truly believe that these stories must get out and the truth must be told so that can empower all of us on how we want to move forward with this thing. And so who I'm going to bring on right now is a young lady named Jenna, who unfortunately lost her husband um, to the hospital protocol on 9-11 this past year. So ladies and gentlemen, here is Miss Jenna. Hi. Well, hey, Thank young you lady. for having me. <laughs> you are most welcome. And folks, she's out in the country in Texas right now. So she is uh, on Wi-Fi, so she's going to be a little broken up here and there, but it's going to come through just fine on our end. But uh, one thing is for certain, what I was just talking to Miss Jenna about was we've been so focused on a lot of us here in the state of Michigan, we tend to forget that there's other things going on in other states. And after we shared the story last week of Stacy's hospital protocol story, um, a lot of my phone started getting lit up with people sharing their own personal stories. And that's how you and I got connected, Jenna. So mm -hmm. welcome. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. So I'm just going to hand it over to you. Okay. Thank you. So our story started in August. Well, technically July when we all came down with COVID, my entire family got it um, from the four year. We have four boys. So a four-year-old or he was five, sorry, five, seven, 10 and 12. We all got it. My husband and I got it last and we didn't get it like I thought we'd get it, like where you get all the symptoms at one time. We seemed to get like one symptom at a time. And the last symptom we got was the um, the breathing and the coughing issues. And on the advice of his friend, my husband took himself to the hospital and checked himself into the emergency room just for oxygen. I mean, I even asked him, "Why? what is the hospital going to do? Why don't you go to urgent care? But he was insistent he needed oxygen at the hospital because that's what we've Known our entire life, you go to the hospital for help, they give you what you need and send you on your way. They immediately admitted him. I'm pretty positive it's because he was unvaccinated, um, but they admitted him with an oxygen level of 93%. Um, put him immediately in the emergency room, um, started him on remdesivir. And some people don't know this, the first dose of remdesivir is actually two doses. So he got technically six doses of remdesivir which let me back up a little bit. My husband was a fairly healthy guy. He was a little overweight um, and he had asthma, but besides that he had no other comorbidities or any other issues going on with it. Um, but he went in the hospital, went, you know, started with the oxygen. They kept bumping him up level to the, you know, the BiPAP mask and the high flow. And then, uh, and then communication was kind of difficult with him. Um, and I don't know why, I don't know if it was the nurses telling him not to talk to anybody because it would lower his oxygen if he was on the phone 
or if he was just so tired or sleeping all the time. I really don't know what was given to him because we weren't allowed in. When he walked in the emergency room, that was the last time I saw him. Um, and so I relied on either talking to him to see what he was getting or calling the nurses. But the nurses would tell me to stop calling because they were too busy and they didn't have time for me. And my argument was, if you're not going to let me in, how do I know what's going on? And how can I be his best advocate when I don't know what you're giving him? And all they kept telling me was that, you know, we're following protocol. He'll get what we feel is best, what the CDC recommends, what the, you know, all of the down the line. So we immediately started asking for ivermectin and uh, inhaled budesonide because I had read that both of those are amazing with COVID. And they kept giving me the runaround saying, no, we'll ask the doctor, we'll ask the doctor. And the doctors would never call back. I mean, I think I talked to a doctor twice and he was there for um, 13 days, but it would take the doctor's days to call me back. So I drove myself up to the hospital and waited until somebody would come talk to me. And um, I never had to speak to the doctors, but we ended up pushing for an ethics committee meeting to get the, the ivermectin. Um, they had also told me they would give him the inhaled budesonide, but when I've looked at his billing records now, he didn't get a single dose of inhaled budesonide, even though they told me he was getting it because I would call and ask for a list of the medicines he was on and turned out they didn't even tell me all the medicines he was on. They would give me just a few that he was on, I think just to appease me and get me off the phone. They would tell me he's doing great. You know, he's fine. Um, so he was in the hospital seven days, well, six days when we asked for the ethics meeting. They were not happy to give us this ethics meeting at all. Um, they scrambled to gather people together. So it was the director of guest relations, the um, charge nurse, and some other nurse. I actually don't know what she was, what she did. And they told me they would have an answer the next morning. We presented them with, with tons of documents about how ivermectin works, how it's proven safe in India. Um, the Math Plus protocol spreadsheet, all the medicines that are on there, we we begged them for that, and they told us they would give us an answer the next morning. Well, the next morning comes around, and instead of um, giving me an answer on the ethics meeting, they tell me they're intubating my husband, and that it was just that he's being intubated, no choice, not even a question. Like they didn't, they didn't give me a choice. Like they didn't even let me talk to him. They knew it was the last time I would have been able to talk to him, but they didn't even offer to let me speak to him one more time. They just vented him on their own and went about it. So I demanded to know what the results of the ethics meeting was. I didn't get a call until later that afternoon that they had decided not to grant us our ivermectin like we asked. And instead of having any sort of compassion, this was at a Methodist hospital system here in Houston, one of the biggest. They told me that since I had threatened to bring in a lawyer if we didn't get the ivermectin that they go here's our lawyer's number you call him no compassion nothing just we chose not to we're following hospital protocol which is remdesivir dexamethasone and a ton of other horrible drugs that i've learned since and um that was that so we kept fighting we brought in ralph Lurigo to fight for the ivermectin he'd won a bunch of cases you know getting the hospitals to grant the the patients the ivermectin and that, that wasn't the very fastest process. He was intubated on the 12th and we didn't get an answer until the 17th from the hospital, like the, the set hearing to hear us out. The hospital agreed 
by discussing it with our lawyer, our Texas lawyer, um, to transfer him to UMMC, where Dr. Verone is the chief of COVID there. And he treats with the Math Plus protocol because he co-developed it. So their protocol is ivermectin for five days and very safe drugs of, you know, high levels of vitamin C, healthy drugs, I guess, compared to what the other hospitals are using. So instead of giving him ivermectin at Methodist, we transferred him by ambulance, intubated and everything to UMMC to be put under the care of Dr. Verón. Now, when he arrived, Dr. Verón told me he was in really, really bad shape. And if he had stayed at the other hospital even two more days, he probably wouldn't have made it. The first hospital, Methodist, was telling me he was doing great. We were looking at extubating him. So there was very different stories going on there between the two hospitals. Um, he got transferred to the UMC. He was on or intubated still for another 10 days there. And then they, they extubated him and did the, the vent trach to try to wean him off and wake him up. And due to the visitor policies that Dr. Rowan had no control over, the hospital would still not let me in. Um, he tried to get me to come in when they were weaning him off the sedation. So I was able to come in for five different visits, but limited to 15 minutes each visit because they were hoping that my presence would keep him calm to wake him up. And um, Did he ever wake up? No. One time I was in there and his numbers were looking really good. And I thought, well, today's the day. Well, you know, we will wake him up today. And the charge nurse came in and picked me out with the respiratory therapist. Um, she came in and said, because she had to suction him, we needed to turn the event setting back up or his, his um, sedation medicines back up. And that was that. There was no arguing with them. They escorted me with security. And I mean, I'm like the, the I'm not somebody who normally would get escorted with security. You tell them to leave, I'm going to leave. Because I don't want to be told I can't come back in because I didn't listen, you know? So I'm going to do what you say, but I'm not happy about it. And so that was the last day that um, he showed real good signs about waking up. Um, and he died, it was about a week after that, that he ended up dying. Um, but the, the damage is just done from the first hospital, from the remdesivir, the dexamethasone. He was on metalozem. I don't know how to say that one. Um, all sorts of different medicines. Um, but it just damaged his kidneys and his liver. I, since I've gotten the medical records from Methodist, his um, liver and kidney levels were, were terrible when he got transferred to UMMC. By the time he died, his levels had improved. So he was improving. Just, it was just too late. It was too so, late. And that's one thing that I've been reading about remdesivir is what it does to the kidneys, right? I yeah. mean, it, the, the side effects of that is pretty uh, detrimental to to those organs. And so mm -hmm. when was the last time that you actually talked to your husband? So when I spoke got... to him immediately after the ethics meeting. Um, yeah. What did he it say? Was very, it was just a very short conversation. You know, he was fine. He wanted me in there. My husband was a very social kind of guy. Like he loved his people around him. And so being alone, locked away alone without any visitors, he didn't handle that very well. Um, I don't even know what happened in the hospital room, honestly, because I've read through his medical records and they say that he was constantly sitting up in bed and pulling off his, his cannulas and his wires and trying to go to the bathroom by himself. And, you know, because they put you in the bed and they tell you don't get up. You're not even allowed to get up to go to the bathroom. And so you're, you aren't using your lungs, you aren't using your body, nothing. You're, you know, essentially a prisoner in the bed. And so I don't know what happened the last few days. And like I said, I wasn't able to talk to him because he wouldn't answer his phone. 
Um, I even asked a nurse one time, can you just crack his door open and tell him to please call me? And she said, no, she couldn't even do that because they'd have to gown up. Like you can't crack the door open, you know, just the, the level of care that he got at the hospital. I can't prove how good a care he got or how horrible care he got because there, you know, there's not truth in anything. Like they wouldn't answer my questions. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, one of the doctors that went in there is one of the doctors I got to speak to. He was very arrogant and very, um, I don't know what the word is. He wouldn't listen to me when I was trying to talk to him about the benefits of ivermectin. Blew me off. Totally, you know, that's not going to work. We're only doing remdesivir. But that doctor went into his room and instead of seeing my husband in his room, told him that he couldn't hear him. Because at Methodist, they put these, these giant fans in their rooms to collect the COVID germs, apparently. And it's very hard to hear. So that's my husband complained he couldn't hear hear me on the phone because of this giant fan. And so the doctor even told him, I can't hear you in here. I'm going to go to my office and call you. And he called my husband on the hospital phone. That's how the doctors examine their patients by a phone call. How can you even tell how the, the patient's doing if you're not even in the room with them, you yeah. know, and they're the ones making the final choices on anything that we do. So it was, it was very frustrating. And Jenna, you said you guys have four children together. Yeah, we have four boys. What are the ages? Uh, five, seven, ten, and twelve. How are they doing? <laughs> I wish they would cry a little more. Honestly, they are angry. They yell at each other. They fight. And Amanda, even trying to get you on the interview, it seems like you're running everywhere with sports and everything <laughs> else right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> your your mouth is around an open fire hydrant. That's for sure as a single parent, what would you like to say to anybody out there that's watching, you know, that may have, you know, number one, similar story that's happened or number two, what, what do you want to tell people to be prepared um, in case this may happen to one of their loved ones if they go in? Well, I have two different ways. I'm going to go with this. The first one is if you know somebody who's sick, don't let them go to the hospital. Absolutely treat them at home. Um, frontline doctors has a list of doctors in each state that will treat with, uh, with the ivermectin and, and HCQ and better medicines. And you can hopefully find a pharmacy that will fill it for you. Um, and then second, like get, get your supplies. A lot of my friends have said that because I've shared our story, I shared every day of our story in the hospital, they've gotten their supplies, they've gotten their vitamins, they've gotten their medicines. And so the one they do get COVID, they just start taking them and they're fine. You know, they don't even need to go see a doctor because they already have their medicine. Um, but I would just say be completely prepared. Um, I had I had heard the story of Dr. Stella Emanuel a while back before we got COVID. She's here in Houston. And in the back of my head, I always said, if we get COVID, we're going to go see her. And then when we got COVID, you know, I, I couldn't get into her office because we were in the middle of the Delta when the hospitals were overrun and we couldn't get a hold of even the frontline doctors to get treatment. Um, so that's the first step is get yourself prepared, find your doctors now and, you know, know which doctors prescribe what you want. Um, the second thing is that if you, if you have been through this horrible situation or know somebody go to this website, the group that I'm working with that created this website, we, they work so hard sharing the stories on this website of people in the same situation as we have. A lot of people have lost their parents or siblings or spouses, uh, even kids. There's been a few 
children that have been murdered in the hospitals, which is just horrible. Um, share your stories. We're trying to gather as many stories as we can so we can, you know, fight this all together. So I know we can't fight a lot right now with all the different laws that are in place in different states, but hopefully we can overturn some of those and start fighting. So those are the two. Be prepared. Yep. Yeah. That website is in the description of the video. It's called protocolkills.com. I yeah. suggest all of you go there, read the stories. And if you have your own personal story, you can submit it. But go ahead, Jenna. You had something else to say. Oh, yeah. Just the two things. Be prepared and go to protocolkills.com. The website also includes if you find yourself sick or if you find yourself um, in the hospital, what to do. There, the website's not just stories. It's also help if you find you have COVID or know somebody who has it. And that's so. fantastic for everyone that's watching right now is information is power. Knowledge is power. And so you can be prepared if this ever happens to you or a loved one and you'll know what to do. And that is the whole purpose of having um, Jenna come on today is to share the story to inspire others because you never know. We, we don't know what this story may bring to someone down the road because of you having the courage, Jenna, to come on here and share your story. In your husband's story, you are going to empower people and you never know. You, you might have saved hundreds, maybe thousands of lives um, by just sharing this heartfelt story of what's happened to you and your family. Um, folks, please keep her and her family and her children in your prayers. Um, please check out that website and then make sure that we're doing everything that we can to share this message. Um, on our platforms, get the message out. We're on Rumble, we're on YouTube. If you need to email somebody this link, you can go there. But the main thing is to make sure that we're getting this information out so we can prevent all this stuff from happening to others in the future, okay? Jenna, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, just thank you for having me on and for sharing all this information. We need more people like you. Well, it's so. about we the people, right? And that's how we're gonna get this done is we're, you know, ordinary people are now doing extraordinary things. And what you just did was very extraordinary. And that's one thing we all have to do as a movement and as a people is to stand up and to provide up-to-date, accurate and truthful information. And that's how we're going to get through this. But more in the future is to prevent this from ever happening again. So all of our aspirations can take root and our legacies can grow. But most importantly, for all of our family trees to flourish for generations to come. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on today, folks. Make sure you're checking out the website and God bless you. God bless the state of Michigan and God bless these United States. Thanks again, Jenna. Thank you.